My name is Katie and I am in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. I am rowing from Africa to South America. And I've been alone at sea. I haven't seen another human for 55 days. I see land. Um, I'm about a mile and a half away. And I just wanted to take a moment and say, Thank you. We're putting on the finishing touches for one of the rainwater harvesting systems for a school that will help over 500 children. There's this saying that if you have a strong enough why, you can figure out how. And behind every adventure for me, my why has been water. Run for Water was an attempt to run nonstop across Maine, 138 miles to raise funds and awareness for a Christian-based water nonprofit called Life Water International. That is Katie Spots, and I am your host, Santosh Shiva. Welcome to another episode of Run Yogi Diaries. As always, please like, subscribe, comment on the show if you like it. That means a lot for the cause. That intro video hopefully gave you a glimpse of the awesomeness of today's guest. Can you imagine, she's the youngest person at the age 22 to have rowed across the Atlantic for 70 days solo from Africa to South America. And not only that, dedicating her life to a higher cause. And fast forward almost 10 years, uh, back in September this year, she runs 138 plus miles across the state of Maine for her mission to bring clean water to the world. Inspiring, isn't it? We get to talk about how it all started, what gave her the courage to embark on seemingly impossible projects, how she deals with low points, and finally, the role of spirituality in endurance. Let's dig in. Hi, Katie. Welcome to Run Yogi Diaries. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, you're such an accomplished individual, um, been at it for a long time, so... You know, it's a pleasure having you in the show. There's a lot of uh, insights that we, I would love to hear about, and of course the audience. So let's start from the beginning, right? And uh, I was reading that your first foray into endurance was that, uh, you know, right across America, you know. Um, what triggered that process to do that endurance bike ride, first of all? Well, Truthfully, if I, if I didn't start by running, I wouldn't have ever had the courage to sign up to cycle. It was a 3,300 mile bike ride from one side of the United States to the next, but I wouldn't have had the courage to sign up if I hadn't run a marathon. So I definitely consider myself an accidental athlete in that um, I needed to take a gym class and I just wanted to get an easy A. So the easiest class I could possibly find was walking and running. And that's how I was like, okay, I'll just walk. And that's when I, you know, had to show up two or three times a week. And I guess I was already there. So I might as well try to run one mile. And that's kind of 
really that one mile and it wasn't pretty. I wasn't an instant runner. I didn't know how to pace myself. I ran way too fast. My lungs felt like they were burning. Like I had no idea how, what, what, what it meant to, to, to pace myself. And I was just doing something that I hadn't done before. So I, through that class kept kind of pushing beyond what I thought was possible. I, I never thought I could run a mile. And then my body proved otherwise that it was capable of doing that. And um, so week by week, I added a few more miles. And it's really by by that class, um, I had uh, built up some endurance and considered running a marathon. And again, this was very far beyond anything I thought was possible. I didn't know anyone who had done it. I had no friends that would even think to do that. And so it was a big leap of faith, but, um, at age, it was 18, I did my first marathon and wow. it was during that run where I saw people that were younger and older and thick and thin. And it made me realize that, um, our bodies are capable. And I, I, yeah, I would say that I'm maybe not the runner bod that you would expect to see rail thin and all that. But um, yeah, that we're, our bodies are still capable of doing that. And so um, that's when I found out about the big ride. So the big ride happened shortly after that adventure where I was like, well, I've tried running and it'd be really cool to do an Ironman but I haven't biked in a while. So maybe I'll do a long distance bike event. So down the rabbit hole I go. And that's when I found out about the American Lung Association doing the big ride across America, the 3,300 mile bike ride. And it was after my grandma had passed away from lung disease and she gave up smoking the day I was born as her first granddaughter. So I couldn't think of a better way to do something in her memory and in her honor. So um, it was definitely like a serendipitous moment of looking for some new challenge and then finding that event. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that's where, where, where I, how I got to thinking it would be a good idea to bike across America without owning a bike. <laughs> you could always get a bike you gotta yeah if you have the, a big enough reason why you could figure out all the hows and what's yeah in the bike you're the engine so the engine is the first part that needs to be available right the yes. bike is always available <laughs> and yeah and, and i want to call out an interesting uh, a very important point that you made right which is you went there to run and you saw people of all body shapes uh you know, running. And I think it's a very important point, especially in today's day and age with uh, all of us, including and especially young women. And you make a very powerful point that it doesn't matter how you look and how you're structured. You know, you're born in a particular way, you have a certain genes doesn't mean it's it needs to stop you from being an athlete. Yeah, right. An athlete is a mindset. And, and you know, that's what you really demonstrated that being an athletic athlete is not necessarily about how one looks, but it's about a mindset. Um, sometimes people do say things like, well, I could never do that. And I, you know, my, my next question is, well, have you tried? And 
sometimes their their answer is well of course not and i'm like well you have to actually try if you if you want to find out if you can i mean i've definitely um maybe not been the fastest or especially during my first few adventures but it wasn't about that it was just about the journey and sometimes people will ask like okay so i ran and it was like 33 hours non-stop and I've done hundred mile runs and the question is always like, Oh, what are you thinking about? And I'm like, nothing. Like I'm Mm. not really thinking, which is a beautiful place to be. And I do focus a lot when I, especially the longer the distance, the more focused I am just because I am so aware that one misstep could be enough to twist your ankle or, and especially when you're battling against fatigue, even running straight, in the middle of the night was challenging. Like just, if I looked, my body would follow. Like just little things when you're not tired, you don't notice, like you can look around, but when you're tired, you're just like, So like I am, I focus on like my body mechanics, having a forward lean. I focus on my breath, whether I'm belly breathing, I focus on my, like using a metronome. And so, yeah, I could, it, I get definitely really in the zone in a way that um, even with like meditation, I don't feel like it, it is the same as like moving meditation. Chi running is something that I had read about sometime back. Have you, have you uh, yeah. read about it? Yeah. Because you talked about the metronome and I was like wondering if you got it from there. I read that years ago. Um, but one of the other things, I think that book was talking about your, your gait a lot, right? Like, and one of the things that I think has helped me as a runner is I run in Newtons. They're a type mm-hmm. of running shoe that keeps you on your midfoot. So it almost has like cogs, five cogs at the bottom. And so it, I, I run more naturally. Like I run using that midfoot where all that cushion is. And so I've been really lucky without having, you know, a lot of those overuse injuries that runners will hear about. So, you know, fast forward, you, you, you did the bicycle, you, you, it, the endurance bug bit you. And then fast forward to the epic uh, event, which made you a almost a, you know, you're a celebrity because of that, which is your, um, the rowing adventure that you did across the Atlantic, right? So, Talk to us about that. What what got you? Tell us about the moment where you got the idea. What were um, you doing? <laughs> well, I I can't claim that that I had the idea. It was an idea that found me on a bus. So someone was sitting next to me, and we were just doing some small talk, and we got on the topic of endurance challenges, and that's when he mentioned his friend had had rode across the Atlantic, and I was uh on a on a like a high of running my first ultra marathon so it was a 100k or 62 mile run and it was one again one of those situations where i never thought someone like me could do something like that so i started questioning what are all the other things that i say that i can't do that maybe i i can and so um, it wasn't an immediate, oh, I want to do it, but it definitely was an immediate, wait, what? 
wait, what do you mean? What equipment do you use? What, who does this? And so I just kept going down the rabbit hole of learning about it, learning about the boats, learning about the equipment, learning about it. And then after I learned so much, I started wondering what it would feel like, what it would be like, what I would see, what I, and then I was there. So I was like, I was already there mentally. And I, I, I mean, I was scared. I, I tried to talk myself out of it I, many times. Like, who am I to think this? And there's so many risks and like, just trying to logic my way out of it. And it was one of those situations where I was either going to do it or regret not doing it. And I, I felt like it would be more difficult to, to live in regret. So that's kind of how the decision was made with a lot of reluctance and then just accepting that it wasn't an idea that would ever leave me alone until I actually tried. Um, and so, yeah, I just kept walking in faith towards a goal that seemed bigger than me and bigger, like, yeah, yeah. So big and so unknown and so beyond anything I've ever done. How long did you get to uh, take for you to get actually trained for all this and start it? Did, did you have to do a lot of training at all or? Two years. Two years. Physically, I did not train that much because you could be the most fit person in the world. And if you don't have the boat, if you don't have the gear, mm. if you don't have the sponsors, if your boat's not shipped, if it doesn't have all this, it doesn't matter. So like I, that was actually a lower priority. And I probably trained more for like Ironman races than I did for that row, just because I didn't have, I just, I didn't have time to, to, because it was spent in other ways that were a higher priority. And like, so I did train, it just was like one long row on the weekends and then stuff to do to um, prevent injury, like making sure I had like core strength and making sure that I was, you know, doing some like weight training. But um, I, they, I mean, the truth is if I was like, an Olympic rower, if I was on a rowing team, I probably would hate ocean rowing because it's not like that. It's not graceful. The water, it's like trying to row while, while riding a bull. Like it's not smooth. And then if anything, it would probably be very frustrating to someone who's used to the glassy calm of a, of a lake or a river. And so, um, I think it came to my advantage that <clears throat> my background wasn't actually rowing. It was just endurance. Yeah, because, uh, and, you know, your book is definitely a must read for folks who are listening. Uh, I really loved it. It's, it's structured very nicely, uh, easy chapters to very nicely written um, and um, uh, very easy to read. Definitely I, uh, encourage people who are listening to this to read your book when I was reading the book, I had my arms were like hurting, you know, like, you're like rowing for 10 hours a day. I was imagining how I would be if I would be doing that for the whole day. And my arms were only hurting thinking about it. So was it like that? Or was it not as bad as I'm making it out to be? Oh, yeah, that's another thing. 
rowing happens with your back and your legs. Oh, okay. You okay, so that's a myth. <laughs> yes, okay. like if you're rowing on a sliding seat in the gym, you're not, that's just to finish. So like the momentum is really coming from your legs and your back. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah. If, if there wasn't a sliding seat, that would be different. If it was kayaking instead of rowing, it would be different. But um, most of the power came, came from my back. Um, so I was sore all the time that that became my kind of normal and I never really slept that well. So it was, it was not a good, it, I didn't ever feel really fresh. Um, but I think that youthfulness was on my side and that like, I probably, my recovery and bouncing back and everything, um, yeah, could be an advantage. Right now, from running my first marathon, that's another part of the journey is just like, um, for females too, like reaching your 30s is probably some of your, um, at, for, for like long distance and ultra distance, it's actually a lot of women peak in their 30s. So I have found that from my first marathon, which was like, five hours to now being able to Boston qualify with like a three hour, 20 minute marathon and, and, you know, doing this last run with, with it being five marathons in a row, it's, it's cool to see that you could continue to progress even with, with growing older with. Yeah, parents. absolutely. And for, for, for folks who are listening to this, right, your, your, your rowing journey was like, what, 10 years ago. Uh, and you are the youngest person to have done that, right? It's, and um, so obviously a lot has happened between then and now. And I do want to, you know, fast forward to the present quickly. But, um, you know, just in terms of uh, going back to your, uh, the 70-day journey, talking about the mental aspect of it, right? Um, you talk about an interesting distinction in your book about solitude and loneliness, and I think it's a very powerful distinction, especially in today's day and age. So talk to us about what is the distinction? What is solitude and what is uh, loneliness? And how does one inculcate that in their daily life? Uh, you know, love to hear that. Yeah, so for my row, I think that's one of the assumptions that like there was a follow boat. I did have a helicopter. I did have resupply and it wasn't, it was a solo journey. So for 70 days, I, I had that um, experience of being with myself. And um, one of my biggest fears was that, like you hear about how one of the forms, worst forms of punishment is like social isolation, like to be completely um, confined and, and in a room by yourself. And so I was willingly putting myself in one of the most, you know, what could be considered a, a form of punishment. And so I was concerned. I did not know what it would be like. And my automatic assumption was, oh, I, I, I will feel so lonely. I will, like, I must, if I'm not around people, that, that automatically means loneliness. And what was 
um, uplifting about that experience is even in the middle of an ocean, I still felt connected. I still felt, um, and I mean, yes, I did have like a satellite phone and I was able to, to, to keep in touch, but even having nature and having, um, you know, the wildlife and, and, um, having the scenery and, and knowing that I did have loving friends and family back home, um, did make that experience one where I didn't feel like I was plagued by this loneliness. Sometimes it can happen without us really choosing or recognizing it, like it, the feelings arising. Other times, I think it could be a, an act of, of indulgence of like, oh, I'm craving or wanting this. And so um, I don't mean this to sound insensitive, but, but, I, but I do see how like choice, like you do have a choice to indulge in, in thoughts. It, it, it's okay to feel those things. And it's also possible to not. It's also possible to reframe things. It's also possible to guide our, our thoughts towards a different direction and, and redirect them to something that might serve us more than holding on to, um, you know, a feeling that, that, that really just drags us lower. So that's a good good time to you know uh, pivot into you, you spoke about clean water right and uh, it's a good time to pivot about into the re- recent even um, effort that you had you ran 138 miles across Maine uh, and it was driven by the whole purpose of raising awareness and money for clean water so tell us about that first of all clean water you know. Where did that come from? How did you, how did you pick that as a as a mission in your life? And uh, and then let's talk about the main uh, event as well, right? Of course. So water wasn't something that I knew a lot about until I was living in Australia, and they were experiencing a drought, um, and it was affecting everything. It was affecting people's ability to water their grass. It was affecting whether they could wash their car. It was in the major headlines. It was all over the news about the drought. And um, I just started to feel the panic that people had about this resource. And it was in an environmental science class that one of the professors mentioned that the wars of the future would be on water. And in some countries, it's already the case. And that one sentence um, similar to how I learned about ocean rowing, that one, one little sentence put me at a place of, of wanting to know more. And that's when I found out about the water crisis. Um, at the time, it was a billion people and um, one in six people. And I just, as soon as I, I, I saw that need, and then also saw the hope that um, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot going on. There's always going to be a lot of problems in our world. But what gives me hope with water is it's a problem that is solvable. It is a problem that has cost-effective ways of delivering safe water. And um, yeah, and it's not just water, it's health, it's education, it's women empowerment. It's it's really a step into a different life. And um I think 
another exciting thing about water is just being a voice for the voiceless. There's a lot more people that aren't being heard with clean water when we know how big those numbers are. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm really excited just to see how much impact can be made on, on so little. So that's where, um, I did do my first big challenge for the American Lung Association for in memory of my grandma. And after that, that's when I transitioned to doing kind of my own adventures. And so it was a, uh, swim for water, row for water, ride for water. And then this last one was the run for water, the run. The run actually was going to be running across Ohio, my home state, but with COVID, uh, it did change it to Maine. And um, it, so Run for Water was my attempt at being the first person to run across the state of Maine, 138 miles. And in buildup for that, um, this past summer, I also ran across um, Vermont and New Hampshire. So New Hampshire was a 61 mile run and Vermont was 74. And um, the overall goal was to help us uh, project in uh, Tanzania for life water. And as a result of the run, about uh, $26,000 was raised for, wow. for that organization. So even with, you know, I'm just blown away by the generosity of, of people who have chosen to, to give, even though, you know, there's a lot going on and um, still want to help out. So have you had a chance to go visit Tanzania? I mean, or, where, or any other place where you, your effort is being, you know, used? Yes. Uh, so I was able to uh, visit projects in South Africa, India, and, um, Kenya, and, and I was able to help build some of those projects. But um, for India, I was speaking at a Rotary conference, and so I had a chance to visit projects while in Kenya. Hey, you went to India. That's where I'm, I'm from. Which part of yeah. India did you go to? Uh, Bangalore. That's where I'm from. No way. <laughs> yes, I, that's where I'm from. Very cool. That's where uh, the conference was. And then one of my friends from grad school, she uh, lives in Hyderabad. So that's where we spent the rest of the trip. Awesome. And now coming to a, a more uh, recent, you know, turn in your life, which is you're, you're so accomplished. You're doing so great. And anyone looking at you is like, wow, I wish... I could be like that, right? You're setting great examples. You are pushing limits. Um, you're doing so much in terms of not just endurance, but for the larger humanity in terms of you know water. And then you hit a low point. What is that about? What happened? <laughs> oh, uh, well, yeah, I... Uh... <laughs> I, I hit low points all the time. Like that's part of the journey. I think, um, you know, reaching goals and, and having success doesn't mean that those moments aren't there. Sometimes those moments happen even more. I just, I've just walked through them a little bit or ran through them more, but, but yes, absolutely. So 
like during my last run, I probably hit my biggest low, uh, five miles to the finish. And there was some confusion about like it being 140 miles on someone else's watch and us or someone else's phone and just having like in my mind, okay, only five more. And then being told only seven more after. So this was 30 hours of running, running through the night. I had edema, which was like this super swollen ankles. Like they were, they were terrible. I like something happened with my back because I was running up, up the hills and the mountains at night that I, it felt like I pulled my back muscle, my blisters. Like, I mean, I was, I was not, I was, I looked like I ran 130 miles. Like I was not like, you know, like some of my races, even my 74 mile run, I was like, Oh, I could keep going. But like, no, that was really difficult. And, um, at that point with the sleep deprivation, I, I just hit a wall and I, I didn't want to quit, but I just didn't want to keep going. So I was crying and having a little pity party. And, but, you know, after five minutes of that or 10 minutes of that, um, my friend offered to run with me and, and um, I was, it, it shifted something in me and, and to know that she would be willing to be by my side on during a time when I was, probably not fun to be around. And, and so it was really the support of others that helped me through that dark space. But um, yeah, I think that's to be expected. Like, of course, if you're sleep deprived and you're exhausted physically and um, yeah, I think it was a really beautiful thing to just let myself feel and express what I had been carrying in my body, which was a lot of, of pain and um, frustration. And so, yeah, it's a great healthy outlet. So that's like, that's a temporary pain, right? And you deal with it, you move on. But I think I was reading a recent blog of yours where you're talking about something more fundamental, uh, an underlying pain or in, an underlying emptiness in spite of all the success, all the adulation, um, and then you, you've chosen a spiritual path after that. So talk to us about that. Um, probably like three or four years after the row, after that high, um, I had my own, you know, struggles with like depressive feelings and just feeling like spiritually empty. And I had a thirst that wasn't being met by success or achievement and that couldn't be met by success or achievement because they weren't meant to be and so that became the place where god was always meant to live and so i put endurance as my god because i didn't actually know who god was and what he was about and i had a lot of fears about god and and being rules that you that and you know, a punishing God. And, um, so it, I may run the same 26 miles, but I can tell you that being more faith-based, um, has changed that experience because, um, the way I was doing it before 
um, failure is always something that, you know, creeps in the background. What, what if I fail? What, what happens then? And if my identity was so tied to Katie being an endurance athlete, um, that means my whole world can fall apart. But like mm-hmm. having a faith life means my identity is as a child of God. Mine, my identity is, is being a Christian that even if that falls, it, it doesn't change. And, and I see that it's part of God's bigger purpose and plan. And so I also know that God gives me all of my abilities. So if I can't run 138 miles, then God's not going to be disappointed. He's going to be like, yeah, I knew, I knew you could or couldn't do that. I knew like he already knows what will or won't happen. So it definitely gives me a huge sense of freedom that I'm not running to earn. I'm not running to gain. It's more running in gratitude for a gift that God's given. And then a gift that it can be for others with clean water. So there's really, at one point it felt like there were things I could lose if, if, if that goal wasn't met. And now there's this feeling of, um, you know, not losing what really matters. And so faith is something that matters more to me than endurance and in fact is what makes endurance more enjoyable well that's that's beautifully said you know run yogi the whole it's a compound word and run represents endurance and yoga actually means union with universal consciousness and you know you, you know you you could be any you could come from any religious uh, vantage point but essentially universal consciousness is where it's going to take, you know, it's finally where you're operating from, you know, the path to it could be different. And what you're saying is very beautiful because, um, you know, you're operating at that high level of consciousness and, you know, your access to it is through your religious, um, you know, structure, but it's, a, but it's, you know, that's where you are and that I can, I can hear that, right? Uh, awesome. So what's next? What's your next big project? I think it'd be really uh, cool and fun to kind of support others who, who want to do their own challenges for water and um, maybe help make a way for, for others to kind of go with it and, and um, yeah, just kind of uplift and give, give people resources to, to do their own. Um, I did also work with another writer on a Bible study for runners. So just sharing that as a tool to continue to raise funds for the water projects. And um, I have been rollerblading. So for the time being, that's, that's been fun. It's actually really good cross training for running because it works on a lot of those like hips and balance and core and even my arms. Like it's, it's pretty good uh, cross training for all the runners out there. So I'd recommend it. Awesome. Great. So, you know, we're kind of coming to an end of our conversation. And uh, is there anything you want to convey before we, any any call for action, anything else you want to convey before sure. we wind up? Yeah. So it we're a couple hundred dollars shy of that $26,000 um, for the run for water. So if you do want to donate, it's just on katiespots.com. And then there's a link in the header. Um, 
otherwise i'm on like um facebook at hello katie and instagram at katie spots yeah I'll, i'll make sure i put those uh those uh, urls in the show notes so people can reach you um if, if they want to and i also want to ask folks to subscribe to this channel to hear these inspiring conversations so make sure you hit subscribe um hey katie thanks a lot i uh, appreciate you taking the time out i love this conversation very inspiring and i wish you continued evolving in this journey uh, and i know there's a long way to go i don't the world is an open you know open ocean <laughs> uh so wish you all the best and we'll keep uh, we'll keep following you and see where what you're up to next all right sounds good thank you so much thank you so much bye bye